I'm not going to be judgmental in any stupid sense because I want to help you to feel a massive advantage. Lesson number one, don't get trapped in your own environment. Be careful about whom you share good news with. And another was be careful about whom you share bad news with. And everyone, those rules ring in people's minds quite quickly. A friend is someone you can share good news with, you know. You go to them and you say, hey, look, this good thing happened to me. And, and they say, look, I'm so happy that that happened to you. Like, way to be. And they don't think, God damn it, why didn't that happen to me? And like, you know, you didn't deserve it. Here's a bunch of reasons you're stupid and why it won't work. It's like, that's not helpful. That's a meditation on my own childhood and adolescence to some degree. I, I had friends who wanted the best for me and friends who didn't. And, you know, they were friends who some of them were aiming up and some of them were aiming down. And if you have a friend that's aiming down and you do something that's aiming up, then they're generally not that happy about it. You know, they try to top your accomplishment with one of their own hypothetical or real or put down what you're doing or offer you a cigarette if you're trying to quit and you've kind of done that successfully or a drink if you've been drinking too much and are just trying to stop being an alcoholic, you know, or yeah, they're cynical and bitter and and devoted towards no good and sometimes that's family members too and sometimes it's even part of you you know but this chapter is a injunction to people is like like you have an ethical responsibility to take care of yourself you have an ethical responsibility to surround yourself with people who have the courage and and faith and wisdom to wish you well when you've done something good and to stop you when you're doing something destructive and if your friends aren't like that, then they're not your friends. And maintaining your friendships with them might not even be in their interest. And so it's a tricky argument to make because I'm not saying, you know, whenever anyone's in trouble, you should, you know, push them into a ditch and then give them a couple of kicks. That's, that's not the idea. The idea is that um, make friends with people who want the best for you. Lesson number two, do not let others use you. One of the things that are gonna, is going to happen to you is that people are going to ask you to do stupid and ridiculous things. And the fact that they're asking you to do stupid and ridiculous things is going to do two things, three things to you. One is it'll warp you so that you'll pretend that you agree with it, and then eventually you will, and like, good, so much for your soul. And then the other thing is, is that it'll demotivate you because you'll think, why should I be like slaving away at this job when, you know, I'm being pecked to death by morons with stupid rules. The third thing that it'll do is make you resentful and irritated, and that will also undermine your motivation and make your life miserable. And so you might think, well, what should you do about that? And the answer to that is, you should object at the earliest possible point, because first of all, you'll find that if you do, if you object to radical stupidity when it first emerges, you kind of make people aware of the fact that what they're doing is radically stupid and they'll usually back off. And so then they won't torture you to death. So, you know, you have to take a risk, which is, oh no, what happens if I complain about this? But, you know, it's another one of those situations where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So if you complain, that'll cause some trouble. Although usually it causes way less trouble than you'd think because people are generally not very courageous. And if you push them, with some strength on a, when they're doing something absolutely moronic, they'll usually back off because they don't know what to do when they're being challenged. And then you won't have to put up with it for the rest of your life. Do not do things you know to be stupid. Stand up and say, look, that's dumb, I'm not doing it. And if they ask you why, then you can say, well, A, I think it's stupid. B, if I do it, I'm gonna get irritated and resentful. And also, if I do it, it's gonna decrease my motivation. So I'm not doing it. And then if they push you too hard, it's like, hey, it's time for a different job. 
and that might be the best thing that ever happened to you because if the, the structure you're in is going in that direction and you can't stop it it's like get the hell out of there and find something else so it's not that hard to find a job when you already have a job that's another thing to keep in mind too you know whenever you're working and you will be especially in the world the, the world of today where jobs are relatively uncertain you should always have an escape route planned and it should be active because if you don't have an escape route and you can't get away you can't say no and if you can't say no you can't bargain and if you can't bargain you're a slave so those that's how it that's how the world is set out at the moment it's probably always been like that but it's something that you really need to know because you got to watch if you're if your being is objecting to someone to something that someone is forcing you to do maybe you're right maybe you shouldn't be doing it and lots of people end up living meaningless lives lesson number three when you fail to plan you plan to fail you need a vision of who you could be what character you could have and if you stumble around like you're blind you're not going to get anywhere and then you're going to suffer and then you're going to be bitter and then you're going to be cruel so that's a that's hell that's a bad outcome so unless you want that don't aim for it and or or aim for the opposite because that's how you get out of it so discipline yourself and so what do you do with that eat three times a day at regular meal times that's a good thing to practice because that starts to put some stability into your life get up at the same time i would highly recommend all those young people out there who are listening like you want to get a jump on life get the hell out of bed in the morning man learn to get up at six in the morning and you'll be one deadly creature especially if you can get to work you'll have half your damn day done by the time other people haul their sorry asses out of bed and so that's a massive massive advantage look if you work 13 percent longer hours you make 40 percent more money it's non-linear so you think why is that well imagine you had 10 employees and one of them works an extra 10 percent it's not much well how often is that person going to be promoted assuming you have a clue as a boss it's like you're going to look at the 10 people and you're going to think oh that guy's always here like 45 minutes early it's like why don't we give him the promotion obviously right so these tie these small edges that you can manage like that work an extra 10 percent or extra 13 percent have non-proportional payoffs that's part of the Pareto distribution get your sleep cycle organized so you get up in the morning learn how to do it no excuses i'm too tired in the morning I don't like mornings. Who cares? That's not relevant. It's like discipline yourself so you can manage it. Schedule your meals because that's a good disciplinary routine. And then learn to use a calendar like Google Calendar. Okay, a calendar is not a prison and it's not a tyrant. Not if you use it properly. A calendar keeps anxiety at bay. It makes sure that you do what you need to do, which is important because otherwise you fall behind. But if you use it properly, it also helps you plan what you want to do. So I could say, well, lay out your damn calendar. You need a plan for three years. You need a plan for the next year. You need a plan for the next six months. You need a plan for the next three months. You need a plan for the week. You need a plan for the day. You need a plan for the hour. All of that. Design the days you would like to have. Lesson number four. Trust your intuition. Well, and if we all got our act together collectively and stop making things worse, because that's another thing people do all the time, not only do they not do what they should to make things better, they actively attempt to make things worse because they're spiteful or resentful or arrogant or deceitful or, or homicidal or genocidal or all of those things all bundled together in an absolutely pathological package. If people stopped 
really, really trying just to make things worse. We have no idea how much better they would get just because of that. So there's this weird dynamic that's part of the existential system of ideas between human vulnerability, social judgment, both of which are, 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 are major causes of suffering, and the failure of individuals to adopt the responsibility that they know they should adopt. And that's the thing that's interesting too, is that, you know, there's this idea that, that people have, that people have a conscience. And you know what the conscience is, it's, it's this feeling or voice you have in your head just before you do something that you know is stupid, telling you that probably you shouldn't do that stupid thing. You don't have to listen to it, strangely enough. But you go ahead and do it anyways, and then, of course, exactly what the conscience told you was going to happen inevitably happens, so that you feel even stupider about it than you would if it happened by accident. Because you, you know, I knew this was going to happen, I got a warning it was going to happen, and I went and did it anyways. And the funny thing, too, is that that conscience operates within people, and we really don't understand what the hell that is. So you might say, well, what would happen if you abided by your conscience for five years or for ten years? What sort of position might you be in? What sort of family might you have? What sort of relationship might you be able to forge? And you can be bloody sure that a relationship that's forged on the basis of who you actually are is going to be a lot stronger and more welcome than one that's forged on the basis of who you aren't. Now, of course, that means that the person you're with has to deal with the full force of you in all your ability and your catastrophe and that's a very very difficult thing to negotiate but if you do negotiate it well at least you you have something you have somewhere solid to stand and you have somewhere to live you have a real life and it's a great basis upon which to bring children into the world for example because you can have an actual relationship with them instead of torturing them half to death which is what happens in a tremendous a tremendously large minority of cases Lesson number five, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. If you can teach people to stand up in the face of the things they're afraid of, they get stronger. And you don't know what the upper limits to that are, because you might ask yourself, like, if for 10 years, if you didn't avoid doing what you knew you needed to do, by, the def by your own definitions, right, within the value structure that you've created to the degree that you've done that, what would you be like? Well, you know, there are remarkable people who come into the world from time to time, and there are people who do find out over decades-long periods what they could be like if they were who they were, if they said, if they spoke their being forward. And they get stronger and stronger and stronger, and we don't know the limits to that. We do not know the limits to that. And so you could say, well, in part, perhaps the reason that you're suffering unbearably can be left at your feet, because you're not everything you could be, and you know it. And of course, that's a terrible thing to admit, and it's a terrible thing to consider, but there's real promise in it, right? Because it means that perhaps there's another way that you could look at the world and another way that you could act in the world. So what it would reflect back to you would be much better than what it reflects back to you now. Lesson number six. It's normal to be afraid. It's not normal to do nothing. Well, you should be afraid of taking risks and pursuing something meaningful. But you should be more afraid of staying where you are if it's making you miserable. It's like the first thing you want to do is dispense with the idea that you get to have any, any permanent security outside of your ability to contend and adapt. It's the same issue with children. It's like you're paying a price by sitting there being miserable. You might say, well, the devil I know is better than the one I don't. It's like, don't be so sure of that. 
the clock is ticking. Yeah, and if you're miserable in your job now and you change nothing, in five years you'll be much more miserable and you'll be a lot older. If you need to change your job too, let's say you have a family and, 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 and children and, and a mortgage, you have responsibilities. You've already picked up those responsibilities. You don't just get to walk away scot-free and say, well, I don't like my job, I quit. That's no strategy. But what you might have to do is you think, well, this job is killing my soul. All right, so what do I have to do about that? Well, I have to look for another job. Well, no one wants to hire me. It's like, okay, maybe you need to educate yourself more. Maybe you need to update your, your curriculum vitae, your resume. Maybe you need to overcome your fear of being interviewed. Maybe you need to sharpen your social skills. Like, you, you have to think about these things strategically. If you're going to switch careers, you have to do it like an intelligent, responsible person. The first thing that you want to do is figure out, imagine you were taking care of yourself, like you were someone you cared for, which is rule number two, by the way, essentially. Then you should figure out, well, if you could have what you needed and wanted, what would it be? What sort of friends would you have? What would your family relationships look like? How would you conduct yourself with your children? How would you educate yourself? You need to think through how it is that your life could be properly arranged if you had that ability. And then you can aim at that. Lesson number seven, treat yourself with care. Treat yourself like you're someone that you care about. Why people don't like themselves very much. And I think there's two reasons really. And one is that we're, we're fragile and damageable and imperfect in multiple dimensions all the time. So it's not just you, it's a universal problem. You should figure out how you would like to be treated like you were taking care of yourself, not how you would like people to respond to you. It's, it's more important than that. It's like imagine you had a child that you really cared for and, and someone said, people will treat this child exactly like you want them to, but you have to figure out what that is. And so then you'd have to sit down for like a month and you'd think, okay, well, how do you want your child to be treated? You don't want everyone just to be nice to him. You know, you want people to challenge him and you want people to discipline him and you want people to tell him when he's wrong. It's like, you don't just want everyone to be nice. That's, that's pathetic. It's pathetic. There's, there's no challenge in that. And so you want to treat other people like you would like to be treated. Well, then you have to figure out how would you like to be treated? And while you'd like people to fawn all over you and just lay everything at your feet, it's like, no, that's, that's not something you'd wish for for someone that you were taking care of. And then, then there's an additional problem, which is it's often the case that people will treat other people better than they treat themselves. If you have a dog and you take him to a vet and the vet gives you your pres the prescription medicine, you'll go buy the medicine and you will give it to the dog and you will do it properly. But if you go yourself to a doctor and you get a prescription, there's one that there's a 30% chance you won't even pick up the medication. And if you do, there's a 50% chance that you won't administer it to yourself properly. And so I really thought about that. When I first came across that statistic, it really, it was another one of those little facts. I thought, what the hell's up with that? It's like, you'll do it for your dog. So obviously you'll do it for something you care about and you're conscientious enough so you'll actually do it. So like, why wouldn't you do it for you? Your dog likes you, you know, even your dog would rather that you did, but, but you, don't, you don't. You make the world a much worse place if you don't take care of yourself. So you should bloody well take care of yourself, you know, because it's partly because you have something valuable to bring into the world. Lesson number eight. Knowing what you want is half the success. People's lives aren't what they would like them to be. And so then you ask, why? Well, forget about tragedy and catastrophe because that's self-evident and we're not going to discuss that. Although the degree to which you bring about your own tragedy is 
always indeterminate, but I would never say that every terrible thing that is visited on a person is something they deserved. I think that that's a very dangerous presupposition, especially because everyone gets sick and everyone dies. But one of the main reasons that people don't get what they want is because they don't actually figure out what it is. And the probability that you're going to get what would be good for you, let's say, which would even be better than what you want, right? Because, you know, you might be wrong about what you want, easily. But maybe you could get what would really be good for you. Well, why don't you? Well, because you don't try. You can't have everything. You can have what would be good for you. But you have to figure out what it is. And then you have to aim at it. You know, you may formulate an idea about what would be good for you, and then you take ten steps towards that, and you find out that your formulation was a bit off, and so you have to reformulate your goal. You know, you're, so you're kind of going like this as you move towards the goal. But a huge part of the reason that people fail is because they don't ever set up the criteria for success. And so, since success is a very narrow line and very unlikely, the probability that you're going to stumble on it randomly is zero. And so there's a proposition here, and the proposition is, if you actually want something, you can have it. Now the question then would be, well, what do you mean by actually want? And the answer is that you reorient your life in every possible way to make the probability that that will occur as certain as possible. You don't get everything, but maybe you can have what you need. And maybe all you have to do to get it is ask. But asking isn't a whim or, or today's wish. It's like, you have to be deadly serious about it. You have to think, okay, like I'm taking stock of myself. And if I was going to live properly in the world and I was going to set myself up such that being would justify itself in my estimation, and, and I don't mean as a harsh judge, exactly what is it that I would aim at? Lesson. Number nine, you are not who you think you actually are. My experience is with people that we're probably running at about 51% of our capacity. Something, I mean, you can think about this yourselves. How many hours a day you waste or how many hours a week you waste. And the classic answer is something like four to six hours a day. You know, inefficient studying, uh, watching things on YouTube that not only do you not want to watch, that you don't even care about, that make you feel horrible about watching after you're done, that's probably four hours right there. You know, you think, well, that's 20, 25 hours a week, it's 100 hours a month, that's two and a half full work weeks, it's half a year of work weeks per year. And if your time is worth $20 an hour, which is a radical underestimate, it's probably more like 50, if you think about it in terms of deferred wages, if you're wasting 20 hours a week, you're wasting $50,000 a year. And you are doing that right now. And it's because you're young, wasting $50,000 a year is a way bigger catastrophe than it would be for me to waste it because I'm not gonna last nearly as long. And so if your life isn't everything it could be, you could ask yourself, well, what would happen if you just stopped wasting the opportunities that are in front of you? You'd be, who knows how much more efficient? 10 times more efficient, 20 times more efficient. That's the Pareto distribution. You have no idea how efficient, efficient people get. It's completely, it's off the charts. Lesson number 10, don't stand still. Life is difficult and it's harder to do things than not to do them. And it's harder to do them well than to do them badly. You know, and it's easy to sit around and be hopeless. I don't mean it's emotionally easy because it's not, but it's procedurally easy to be useless and 
to fall back into your old habits and to not discipline yourself. And it's it's a matter of continual practice, slow continual practice. And I, I think a good example of that is something like weightlifting. You're not going to really see results for a number of weeks and then the results are rather slow, but you can get pretty decent results over a six month period and absolutely stellar results over a couple of years. And so you have to make sure your time frame is right and not to be too hard on yourself. And one of the things I would recommend too is if you're having a hard time implementing your, your decisions, say your ethical decisions, that you spend a bit more time thinking them through and writing them down. And so get your goals straight and continue to practice every day. And if you're not succeeding, then make your goals slightly smaller. You want to you want to make your goals large enough so that they challenge you, but small enough so that you have a reasonable probability of succeeding at them on a day-to-day -day basis. And then you have to also understand that if you fail on a given day, like let's say you're trying to quit smoking and you quit for two weeks, and then you have a cigarette and you think, oh my God, now I've screwed it up. I've, I'm not quitting anymore. You smoke a whole pack of cigarettes. It's like, well, there's a couple of mistakes there. And one is, well, just because you had a cigarette doesn't mean you failed. It just means that you had a cigarette, you can start stopping again the next day. And the fact that you had one cigarette in the last two weeks is a hell of a lot better than the two weeks that you had before that. And so you've got to be realistically humble. You've got to be ambitious enough in your goals so that you're pursuing something that you regard as truly meaningful and worthwhile. Lesson number 11. Learn to negotiate with yourself. It's training in how to stand up for yourself let's say for your better self, which would be the self that you could use productively over a medium to long period of time that would be of use to you, but also of use to people around you. So it's a self that's bounded by the necessity of taking care of yourself, but also simultaneously taking care of the people around you. I think that the simplest way to start that work is to consult your resentment. You know, it's easy to become bitter about life and to become angry because, of course, life is difficult and it's full of disappointments and people are also subject to betrayal on the part of themselves and on the part of people that hypothetically care for them. And so it's easy to get bitter and to be resentful. Resentment is a very useful emotion, even though I think it's one of the most damaging emotions if it's not dealt with properly. So if you're resentful, it basically means only one of two things. It either means you should grow up and quit whining and get on with your life, or it means that you're being subject to tyrannical forces of one form or another, maybe emanating from you, maybe a consequence of the natural environment, maybe a consequence of society. You're being subject to tyrannical forces and you're not uh, putting your own best interests forward, like in that broader sense that I described. And, and I don't mean your selfish, narrow, interests that only serve the purposes of instantaneous gratification. I mean, your own best interests in terms of developing your character over the span of your life. If you're resentful, it either means that you're immature and that you should grow the hell up. And so you need to figure out how much of your resentment is, is that and, and, and maybe allied with the desire to find other things or people to blame. But the other possible option is that you have something to say or do, right? Because you're in a situation where you're violating your own internal ethical standards and you're being required, pressured, let's say, to say things you don't believe or to do things that you believe to be wrong. And you need to determine, you need to start to strategize and plan 
how you can rectify that so that you can say what you mean. Like if you're negotiating with a marital partner, for example, and there are um, issues in your marriage that aren't making you happy. Well, the first thing is you have to take note of that, right? To see that you're actually unhappy. Uh, the second is that you have to be willing to engage in a certain amount of conflict because in order to sort out what's disturbing you, you're going to have to lay your concerns out on the table and say, well, look, this is bothering me. You don't have to say, well, I'm right and you're wrong and you have to fix this. You have to say, well, I've noticed that this pattern of interaction or lack of interaction, say, in our relationship is making me resentful and angry. And the danger of that, of course, is you're gonna take it out on yourself and your partner. The danger is passive aggressiveness. You know, you're not gonna to respond to your partner positively when they do something good if you're resentful about them. That's also really necessary if you're going to say what you have to say, which is to manifest yourself properly in the world, is you can't just complain about what's wrong. You have to think, well, what would my minimal preconditions for satisfaction be? You have to offer that to the person that you're negotiating with. Lesson number 12. All the answers are in your head. Sit on your bed one day and ask yourself, uh, what's, what remarkably stupid things am I doing on a regular basis to absolutely screw up my life? And if you actually ask that question, but you have to want to know the answer, right? Because that's actually what asking the question means. It doesn't mean just mouthing the words. It means you have to decide that you want to know. There's no better pathway to self-realization and the ennoblement of being than to posit the highest good that you can conceive of and commit yourself to it. Do you really have anything better to do? And if you don't, well, why would you do anything else? If you orient yourself properly and then pay attention to what you do every day, that works. I actually think that that's in accordance with, with what we have come to understand about human perception, because what happens is that the world shifts itself around your aim. Because you're, you're a creature that has an aim. You look at a point and you move towards it. It's built right into you. And so you have an aim. Well, let's say your aim is the highest possible aim. Well then, so that sets up the world around you. It, it organizes all of your perceptions. It organizes what you see and you don't see. It organizes your emotions and your motivations. So you organize yourself around that aim. And then what happens is the day manifests itself as a set of challenges and problems. And if you solve them properly, then you stay on the pathway towards that aim. And you can concentrate on the, on, the, on the day. And so that way you get to have your cake and eat it too. Because you can, you can point into the distance, the far distance. And you can live in the day. If everything that you're doing every day is related to the highest possible aim that you can conceptualize, well, that's the very definition of the meaning that would sustain you in your life. Lesson number 13. Don't underestimate having a goal. Have some ambition, have a vision, have a goal, have a strategy. Try to, try to be a good person. In, in, not, not because it's your duty precisely, because that's the proper way to live. We're in danger of undermining all of that. And it's not good for people. One of the things that I've really learned, for example, recently is that there's a, or learned to articulate better, is that there's a very tight relationship between aspiration and responsibility. Well, the first question might be, do you need to aspire to something? And the answer is, well, yes, because you have to do something. Okay, if you just sit there, you'll die. You can't just sit there. You have to go act out in the sure. world. Okay, so act towards what? Well, that's whatever your aspiration is. You have to have an aim. Okay, well, what should the aim be? 
well, it should be something worth doing, let's say. Why, why do something that you don't feel is worth doing? What do you think's worth doing? Well, if you watch other people and, and you judge when they're doing something worthwhile, you usually judge them positively if you see that they're taking responsibility, at least for themselves. What, do you want to be completely useless so other people have to take care of you? That's pretty pathetic. And maybe you could get your act together so you're taking care of yourself and your family. And maybe you could even do better than that and take care of yourself and your family and your community. Well, good for you. That's, that's responsibility and that's an aim. Well, here's one of the things that's cool about that is that your life doesn't have meaning without aspiration or an aim. Okay, so you need a hierarchy of values. There's got to be something at the top. It's got to be something important. If you don't have that, your life doesn't have any meaning. People are built for a struggle and they're built for a weight and you want to take on a heavy burden voluntarily. See if you can put yourself together. See what you can do out in the world while you're waiting to die. It's an all-in game. It better be worthwhile. And so there's a tight relationship between responsibility and aspiration and hierarchy. And when you criticize those things, you get rid of the aspiration.